Uh, this morning, I want us to just take a look uh, at a story of a man named Jairus, found in the eighth chapter of Luke. And uh, I just want us to parallel it this morning with some God stuff happening then uh, to some God stuff happening now. Uh, I want us just to just kind of just jump into uh, uh, this eighth chapter here, and uh, we're going to start off and just kind of break it down uh, verse by verse. So I think we're going to uh, begin at 41, and we're going to kind of work our way through verse 56, but uh, we're just going to take... Uh, just a couple at a time or a few at a time and, and just kind of see what we can discover, see what God is speaking to us. And uh, if you want to follow uh, in uh, your uh, Bibles, that's fine. Uh, we will have it on the uh, screen for you. And uh, I'm going to be speaking uh, from the uh, Amplified uh, Version uh, this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 41 and 42 out of the Amplified And there came a man named Jairus who had for a long time been a director of the synagogue. And falling at the feet of Jesus, he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed together around him almost suffocating him, almost suffocating him. Amen. Uh, What I want us to notice first uh, this morning is uh, the age of this daughter, 12 years old, 12 years old. She had reached the age of puberty. It was the age where she could bear children. It's a new season of fruitfulness ready to begin in her life. Now, I believe God has his church, and that includes this group of people right here. In a spiritual season, listen now, in a spiritual season that's capable of, of producing some of the greatest God-conceived things that this area has ever witnessed, ever been a part of. I believe that with all my heart. But here's the problem. The spirit of death is hovering over this season of rightness, trying to kill it, trying to destroy it. Here's the question. Is there a Jairus in the house? Is there a Jairus in the house? You see, Jairus was a member of the church. His title found here in the text was director of the synagogue. He was the one chosen to care for the physical arrangements of the synagogue services. Basically, he was an administrator of the building and an overseer of the worship dynamics. But what he was is not as important as what he did. There comes a time when our kingdom actions must surpass our earthly titles. 
There comes a time when our kingdom actions must surpass our earthly titles. Jairus had desire, hunger, and such a desperation to keep the season alive and bring her into fruition that he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. In humble submission, in worship, and in the power of prayer. And he refused to move until he had the commitment of the Lord to come to the house. How beautiful and how wonderful is that. What an example of position that the church must be willing to put herself in today. So sometimes, and and especially this week, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever just paused and wondered, is there any in the house that really care enough about the life of this season to position themselves as Jairus did and refuse to move until God moves? Does anyone care if the doors stay open? Does anyone care if the loss is reached? Is, is that a, a priority in our lives? Is that more important than other things? Is that the center of our lives? Does anyone care if the hungry is fed? Is anyone in the house that care if the naked are clothed? Does anyone care if the prodigal sons and daughters come home? Does anyone care if the gospel is preached? Does anyone care if the abortion clinics close? Does anyone care if marriages are healed? And the hopeless find hope. The captive are set free. Does anyone care if God is glorified? I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves sometime. Do I care? Am I passionate about what God's heart is passionate about? Do we really care? Because listen, if we really care, the proof of our desire will be in our pursuit. The proof of our desire will be in our pursuit. I promise God will give increase to what we plant and water. God is faithful. Now, something interesting happens while Jairus and Jesus are on the way to the house. And we're going to pick this story back up in verse 43 through 48 there in Luke chapter 8. We'll get those on the screen for you. And a woman who had suffered from a flow of blood for 12 years and had spent all her living upon physicians and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him, him being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is it who touched me? When all were denying it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitude surround you and press you on every side. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me. In other words, somebody deliberately touched me. For I perceive that healing power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came up trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people for what reason she had touched him and how she had been instantly cured. And he said to her, daughter, your faith 
That is, your confidence and trust in me has made you well. Go. Enter into peace, untroubled, undisturbed, well-being. This is what I believe that we need to see in these scriptures for the season. The older woman has a flow. She has a hemorrhage, or as one translation puts it, an issue of blood. Notice also that this woman has been sick as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. And Jesus stops and refuses to go any further in his journey to raise the new season or the season of newness to life until he deals with the issue of old. I mean, he stops dead and straight. I'm not going any further. We're going to deal with this issue right here before I go and raise the newness of a season of life up. I believe there is a twofold purpose worked in her life. First, the woman's sickness or issue is at the place of her intimacy. The church's issues with fornication, adultery, divorce, lust, and porn, just to name a few of the more popular ones, will always affect our intimacy with God. The issues must be dealt with. Before God can bring in and to raise up a new season, there are some things that we must deal with in our lives. Now, the second, the issues with jealousy, gossip, pride. Let me get on my soapbox just for a minute here. Criticize and unforgiveness and self-righteousness, just to name a few more popular ones. It keeps our true identity in Christ hidden. She's just a woman in the crowd until she deals with the issue. By sucking the yoke-destroying power right out of the body of Jesus with her touch of faith. And at that time, her true identity is revealed in the Word of God. Jesus says, daughter. She goes from just being a woman in a crowd to being a daughter. That's what issues do. They hide our identity. They affect our intimate relationship with God. They affect our intimacy with God. And God is showing us something here. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to move any forward in this season of newness to raise it up so it begins to produce. It begins to give birth to the things that I can see until we deal with some issues. You see, there's more for the church to do than relax in the hot tub of God's grace. Sometimes we need to wash some feet. Listen to this. Issues create the time for death to kill a season of newness. Issues create the time for death to kill the season of newness. We find it in verse 49 of chapter 8. Verse 49, follow me on the screen. While he was still speaking, a man from the house of the director of the synagogues came and said to Jairus, 
your daughter is dead. Do not weary and trouble the teacher any further. When there's an attempt being made to keep alive what can birth a season of new life into the kingdom of God, the thief will always make his move and interrupt what God is speaking and doing in the church. The Lord's doing a wonderful thing right here in Scripture. He is ministering his healing power to this older woman. And he is still speaking about the miracle. Notice verse 49. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, here comes the distracting news. Here comes the distracting news. You see, I know death words have interrupted what God has been speaking into your heart even here this morning. No need to trouble the Lord about that ministry. You've been trying to get that thing going for years. There's no reason to trouble God about that ministry. You you know, you just kind of missed your calling on that one. You know, we need to kind of back up and to just reevaluate things and, uh, you know, take a look and, uh, you know, maybe there's some other kind of gift or talent that God has, you know, another area that you need to, to, to plug it in. Those are death words. You know, there, there, there's no reason to mess with this marriage. You know, it, it, it's dead, you know. This business is never going to survive. It's never going to revive. That loved one, you know, it, it, uh, there's no use to trouble God concerning that any longer. There's, there's no need to worry the Lord with that any longer. Just let it go. It, it, it's dead. Come on, Jairus. Let's just go back home. Let's leave Jesus alone. He's he's a busy man. He's got more important things to do right now. This is over. It's done. It's dead. Let's just go home and have our time and season of grieving, and let's bury this thing. That's what the enemy wants you to do. You see, the opportunity for you to give up to surrender or to abort what you believe God is going to do will present itself at strategic times in your life within the process of you getting Jesus from point A to point B in your life. We are all a work in progress. And we are walking and coming into a new season. And we are trying to get God in our lives from point A. That's what Jairus was doing. He met Jesus there when he had got off the boat after he had healed the man that was possessed demonically. He was, a, he was just there in the crowd and he made his way through the crowd and came before Jesus and positioned himself in a way that I need you in my house. I can't go any further. I can't do anything else. I'm not going to move. And there he was trying to walk along with Jesus and get him to the place to where there was a manifestation of life, of fruitfulness in the house, in his life, in that home. 
But those words were trying to get him to abort. They were trying to get him to surrender. They were trying to get him to miscarry. There's no need to concern God with that dream any longer. Just move on into something else in life. And that brief interruption may create a total meltdown within your soul for a moment. I know I had one this week. But just refocus your attention back to Jesus. And listen more intently to the life-giving words of truth. He's speaking to overcome the death words with calming hope and assurance. Verse 50 of chapter 8. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not be seized with alarm or struck with fear. Simply believe in me as able to do this. And she shall be made well. Wow. Now that's some good stuff. And right on time. Powerful. Now for the rest of the story. Luke 8, 51 through 56. Luke 8, 51 through 56. And when he, Jesus, came to the house, he permitted no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. And all were weeping for the, and bewailing her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. They laughed him to scorn. Knowing full well that she was dead. And grasping her hand. Now, in the New King James Version and then other translations, when Mark uh, talks about what happened, he actually put them out. Those that were laughing, those that had unbelief, those that were down. He actually put them out of the house and he shut the door on them. When he performs this miracle, it's Peter, which is a stone. That means he's a chip off the old block. He was the one when Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? Well, some a prophet, you know, Jeremiah, Elijah, you know, John the Baptist, you know, you know, so many things, you know, they're calling you. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock, upon who I am, I'm the rock. And Peter was a chip off that rock. We're chips off that rock. Peter was able to go in. Also, James and John, they were the sons of thunder and the parents. They were the only ones in there. And grasping her hand, he called, saying, Child, arise from the deep sleep of death. And her spirit returned from death. And she arose immediately and he directed that she should be given something to eat. And her parents was amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had occurred. Those who walk close to Jesus in faith will witness the miracle of a fruitful season in life. But the doubters will only hear and read about it. I can't be satisfied with just hearing about it or just reading about what God is doing. 
I've got to experience it. We've got to experience it. When the house becomes the tabernacle of his presence, death becomes a nap. Weeping turns to laughter. And issues are swallowed up in his virtue. I believe that God has just deposited. I mean, this has just been beautiful this morning with the presence of God and his love here. And he has just deposited a word of truth into our lives. And if we will take this and begin to apply it, we're going to begin to see the manifestation of this new season that God has us in. We're going to begin to see more miracles like Sister Shirley happened in her body where God healed her of COPD. She had been diagnosed by two doctors three years ago. She was on two inhalers and three to four breathing treatments a day. She was in an altar service, and we had a group of people that had been at a healing conference at CF&I, Christ for the Nation Institute, and they were here, and they began to minister in prayer. Uh, Some of them had been there for a day. Some of them had been there the whole, I think, three or four days of that conference. And they began to minister and pray. And uh, as they did, Shirley actually tasted. I mean, she said it went all the way down into her lungs. She could actually taste the sweetness of God. That was, I think, five weeks ago. She has not had one breathing treatment in that time, and she has not had to use that inhaler. She is breathing freely. She gives God all the glory and all the thanks. It's wonderful. This was the testimony that my wife was talking about going on our website or our Facebook page, and you can hear it in her own words. Just an incredible, and she has said that since that day, several times she still tastes that sweetness of the Lord. It's just awesome. God is not wanting that to be an occasional thing in the body. Signs and wonders are supposed to follow believers. There is a gift of healing and a gift of working of miracles. There is a gift of faith and a discerning of spirit. There there is a gift of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. There are tongues and prophecy and interpretation. I believe that God is still wanting to use those gifts. I believe that he is still wanting to reach the lost with the gospel. I believe that there are some God-conceived things that will absolutely, absolutely blow our minds and turn this city and this area of East Texas upside down. I believe that God wants that to become the norm in the body of Christ. And I believe that there is a pattern that we can follow here that God has delivered to us in his word. Are we hungry for it? Do do we care? You know, do, do we care if the doors are open next week? I mean, there's a lot of churches in the, in, in the area. Uh, there's a lot of good churches. So do we really care if these doors remain open? I mean, we can always just go to another church somewheres. Do we care? 
Because if we care the proof of our desire, do we desire it? Are we hungry for it? Are we thirsty for it? Because if we are, the proof of that desire will be in our pursuit. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. Hey, and, and like, like I kind of mentioned there, if all we had to do was just sit in the jacuzzi tub of his grace and let him do everything, he would have already done it. I assure you, he would have already done it. So God is waiting on us to position ourselves with a hunger, with a passion, with a thirst for this thing. Do we really want it? Do we really care? Do we care if our neighbor is saved or not? Or do we just, hi, hope you're doing good today. Do we care if the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, do we care if they're saved? Do we care if they know Jesus? Do we care if they're going to heaven or if they're going to hell? I mean, those are good questions that we need to ask ourselves. They're penetrating questions that really make us search our lives and evaluate ourselves and our relationship with God. Is there issues? I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. But is there issues that are hiding your identity? You see the issues come flooding in and like uh, my wife was talking this morning, we get overwhelmed with issues. And it hides our identity of who we really are. I mean... Most definitely, there were some people that came through the doors this morning and their identity of who they really were were hidden. They were overcome by issues. And an issue doesn't necessarily have to be a sin. It can just be the worries and carries of life that we're failing because God says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And we fail to do that. That's an issue. And it hides our identity, and it hurts our intimacy with God. It's a lack of trust in Him. And I know that we don't purpose that in our heart. I believe that everybody in this place loves God. And I believe that with all your heart, you want to please God. And because God loves me, And because he loves you so much and because he loves this world, he gives us messages like this to grow us, to nurture us, to awaken us out of complacency and out of satisfaction. When we position ourselves and deal with those issues in our lives, God, you know, I'm committed to you. I'm going to position myself to you. And I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to grow tired and weary and well-doing for in due season. I know I'm going to reap if I faint not. I know there's this new season. There's a season of life. There's a season of birthing. There's a season of fruitfulness for my life, for my ministry, for my family, for your church, for this city, for this state, for this nation, for all the nations. I believe that you want to move in your power. I believe that you want to arise and demonstrate your power and you're looking for vessels that you can channel your anointing and your holy presence through. I believe it's going to happen. I believe God is stirring our hunger and our thirst for it. 
And I believe that there is a humbling spirit overtaking the church, the body, that says, God, I care. What's important to you? What do you want to do today, God? What's on your heart? What's on your agenda? Now, God, I, I just need to clear some time because I, I, I need to be an intercessor. God is going to do it. And I want it to be here. In you and in me, I want to be a part of it. I'm going to ask Danny and Sherry, uh, sound booth workers back there, if they'll just uh, get some music going. We're going to dim the lights. I felt led just to close this.